Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wonderful day we have in celebrating the truth. We thank you for those people in our lives who have helped us to know the truth, and particularly people like Luther. Help us not to elevate them, but instead help us to listen to the message that they share with us, the message that they discovered. So we elevate you and glorify you and glorify what you've done for us. As we reflect on what it means to be a Lutheran Christian, pour down your Holy Spirit on us and give us a sense of peace. Open up our hearts and minds to who you are. And Lord, remind us that Jesus is with us. In Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Has anyone ever misunderstood who you are? Has anyone judged you and thought you were somebody else? And usually it's done because we do things like generalisations. When I was at university, about my second year, one of my my I lived on campus at university. The next door neighbour to me discovered that I was a Lutheran, and he said. You don't look like a Lutheran and you don't act like a Lutheran. If I'd known you were a Lutheran, I wouldn't have spoke to you. And that was because he lived in an area where there was a lot of Lutherans and he had a particular perception of them. And a lot of it was based on cultural beliefs or cultural understandings, such as, what's that cake we sometimes have? Kuchen? He said all his friends used to bring kuchen to school. A funny-looking cake with sugar crumble stuff on top. And that was his limited perception. And you may have been misunderstood, may have been labelled because somebody has misunderstood your identity. And sometimes we even misunderstand our own identity. And so I have a couple of questions for us as we start to think what it means to be restored by God, to have our identity restored by God. First of all, If you are asked who you are, what would you say? If after church someone said, who are you? Apart from your name, what would you say? Jimmy, would you say I'm a Hong Kong descendant? Would you say I'm an engineer? When people put words in my head, I have particular perceptions of what that person's like. If someone tells me they're an engineer, there's a particular perception that goes there. Highly organised, fairly rigid, process orientated. If people said you're from the country or from the city, or if that's what you said, that would gain a particular perception. So think about, if you were asked, who are you, what would you say? This week, um, pastors and lay workers and leaders in mission gathered together at Warren Bewey in the Lutheran Church of New South Wales and ACT. And we had an opening session, and it was interesting. Now, part of it was people are asked to introduce themselves, their name and who they are, you know, where they're from, and there was a couple of other things we asked people to share. And a few of them made this comment. They said their name, and they said, I am a child of God. I am a child of God. A little bit like we spoke about last week. That's where they gain their identity from. So think about it. If you're asked who you are, what would you say? Because what you would say will give people a picture of 
in their mind, even though it may not be the perfect picture, it'll give people a picture of who they're dealing with. What about this, though? If you were asked to describe who a Christian is, what would you say? If somebody said, so you're a Christian, what's that about? What would you tell them? What would be the focus in your conversation? Apart from that conference I attended, later in the week I undertook my Arrow leadership training and one of the things we were told to do or encouraged to do or trained to do was a personal evangelism and part of that was to share your story in 15 seconds. Now the bloke saying this said when he first heard this, he went, ah, oh, impossible. And when I heard it, I thought, I have to say my name and 15 seconds are gone out. I need more than 15 seconds. But he sh- And I'll go to it later. I'll show you, not today, but in another service, we'll go through that and show what that means. But think about it. If you were asked to describe who a Christian is, or you're a Christian, so what does that mean? What would you say to people? Well, what about this one? If you were asked to describe who a Lutheran is, what would you say? What would you tell people what a Lutheran is? Would you focus on the ethnic background? Now, generally in Australia, many people think Lutherans are Germans. But have a guess what? The Swedish, the Norwegians, the Finnish don't see themselves as Germans. In America, apparently, um, about 70 years ago, they were trying to get different churches to come together and Lutheran churches come together. And one of the problems was the ethnic barrier because the ethnicity brings some baggage that's not always helpful. Would you say that a Lutheran is about a particular worship style? There are some people who focus on that. And I believe we've been gifted with a good theology of worship, but it's not necessarily needs to be a particular worship style. And that's why we have two styles of worship within our congregation. Or other practices. You know, I, I, it was quite funny for me, but my first parish, I had three congregations, and they all operated differently. And the things that, I, that they were stuck on, some of their practices they were stuck on, they said, we do this because this is Lutheran. But I go down the road, and one of, it was all around communion, one issue, I go down the road to the next congregation. We don't do that. We do this because it's Lutheran. So sometime our understanding. Now the other thing is some people have a carry baggage. They're negative about the concept of Lutheran because they have seen some negative things about it. And other people are quite positive and proud of it. Some people like to use the being a Lutheran to do, make them very distinctive from other people. But if you read what we call our confessions, that's not the focus. Our focus is to work together to be God's people. And so I'm going to talk a little bit about what one area that makes us loser in a few moments. And so why are questions like this important? Why is it important for us to ask questions about our identity, to understand who we are? Well, our identity affects how we see ourselves. It affects our mood. 
It affects how we live. It affects where we put our energies. And it also affects how we see our future. This last year, there's been a number of major protests that have happened. And that's come out of people's identity, of who they are. On the weekend, there was a protest that was... Um, one of my daughters said to me, look, what's, what's going on in Armenia? I went down the street and there was all these Armenians protesting. What's going on? And that was over oh, some war and some violence in their country. But our identity, think about your identity. Think about how you feel about yourself, how you see yourself and how others react. It affects a lot of things, doesn't it? And so questions of identity are important. And when it comes to being a Christian, it also affects things. Martin Luther, um, before the Reformation happened, he had an identity crisis. And his identity crisis was this. He wanted to be faithful to God, but he saw God as an angry God, a God who was not an easy God to deal with. And so when we look at our identity, though, and this is what happened to Luther, when we look at our identity, it's best not to look at what others say we are. It's best not to look at our experiences. It's best not even to look at the history. You know, it's good to have a look at the history, but it's best not just to look at the history. It's best to look at who God says we are. It's best to dive into Scripture and to reflect on who is God saying you are. From Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, we hear, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I will be faith. I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, whenever I read this passage, this image of, um, I'm a plain carton of milk, or a plain glass of milk, and Christ living in me comes into me, changes who I am, changes my flavour, changes everything, and so I'm like this glass of milk where somebody has poured chocolate into me. I become sweeter and more tasty and better and more attractive. So it's best to look at God for your identity. The other passage that comes to mind in this area of best to look at God is from Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 to 2. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above and not on earthly things. Now one of the challenges is we all have some ethnic background. And yet if you go to the Galatians passage and the Colossians passage, you go a bit further from those verses I read. And they talk about there's no Jew or Gentile. Right? The church is not about an ethnicity. Right? And if you look at our congregation here and you look around, you can see people of all different backgrounds. And if you got to know everybody, you would find there's some surprising backgrounds. Who would have thought in the Lutheran church in Australia, in Sydney, that we'd have somebody from Mongolia? Five years ago. Who would have thought we'd have somebody from Spain? Who would have thought we'd have someone from Hong Kong? Or Tanzania? Or Indonesia? Or West Papua? All worshipping together. And so if our ethnicity is not what makes us Lutheran, 
what makes us Lutheran. It is what God says to us. And being Lutheran means we're Christian. We should never separate the two, although some people try to from time to time. So the question is, who does God say I am? If someone was to ask you that question, what would you say? Well, this morning what I want to look at is from Romans chapter 3, who God says I am. But before I do that, this is just a reflection on what happened at the Reformation. Um, The Reformation, consider it like this. The Reformation is one of God's light bulb moments for the world, the churches and your identity. And when I say it's God giving us a light bulb moment and saying, and not just you personally, and not just the church, but even the world. If you go through history, they talk about the Reformation having a major impact, not just on the church, but on the entire world. And what happened at that time is this. Luther discovered that we are not helpless sinners to live in fear of an angry God, always under his wrath and destined to a life of slavery. But what he discovered is that we are forgiven children of a loving God, which has been made possible through Jesus. And that was the big light bulb moment. In fact, the passage they often quote as the one that kind of triggered everything, it was like an explosion that happened in Luther's spiritual life, was Romans chapter 1, verse 17, where it says we have this righteousness that comes by faith. And so let's look at our reading from Romans 3 and see how that shapes our identity, what that tells us about ourselves. The first thing that Romans chapter 3, verses 19 to 28 reminds us is this. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world accountable to God. Not just some people, but the whole world. No matter who you are, you are accountable to God. Now, what's happened up until now, Paul's been writing to the church in Rome, and what's happened up to now, he's been explaining to the, to the people that your life is a mess, that you haven't got things together, that you've got major problems, and a lot of those problems are because you don't see yourself as people who are deficient, as people who are sinners. And so he starts off in this Romans 3, he's reminding that everybody is in this state, but he also reminds us and says all of us are accountable to God. Think about what that means. Sometimes we love separating, oh, this is church, so we're accountable to God, but my friends aren't accountable to God. Well, here's the truth. Ultimately, they will be accountable to God. They can go and act like they're not accountable to God today, But at the end of times, when Jesus comes again, they will be accountable to God. So that's for us as individuals, think of also how that, that impacts you. That you, as you live your life, are accountable to God. Now you could see this as a very heavy burden but I encourage you to see it as something else. I encourage you to see it as some guidance, a blessing, um, a focus for your life. And so you can set priorities. 
You know, in my own life, I'm accountable to many people. I'm accountable to my wife. I'm accountable to my children. I'm accountable to my bishop. I'm accountable to this congregation, to you as a congregation. I'm accountable to my mother. I'm accountable to a lot of people in different areas. But what helps me in all those different relationships that I have is understanding that I'm accountable to God. Because when I think about being accountable to God, it helps me make decisions of how to love people, how to respond to people in a way that is pleasing to God. Not to earn God's favour, but to show God's love to all those people. And then Romans 3, verses 19 to 28 goes on. In verse 20 it says, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of law. Rather, through the law we become conscious of our sin. And so the other thing is to understand about our identity is that without Jesus, I am just a sinner. Without Jesus, I am just a sinner. No matter how many good things you do. No matter how many good things I do. I love getting a pat on the back for my good things. And I'd say one of the flaws in the Lutheran church that I've come across occasionally, for it's a cultural thing, is I actually got told by somebody, whatever you do, pastor, don't thank people publicly. Don't praise them because they might get a big head and they might think their life, they're more important than others and that they actually don't sin. Well, I don't think that's helpful. Because people do good things and we should thank them. But we should also remember that without Jesus we are just a sinner. And that's all. That's how God would see us. If we don't have Jesus, God would just see us, the Father would just see us as a person who has sinned, who has failed. But then, fortunately, the story takes a turn. It gets better. From Romans chapter 3, verse 22 to 24, we hear, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. And it goes on, for, you know, to unpack that a little bit more. And then it get near the, in verse 24, it says, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. In other words, with Jesus... I'm not just a sinner. I am justified. I am righteous. I am seen as somebody who is wor- God sees as worthy. And so what does this righteousness and justified mean? Because they're two heavy theological words. Well, first of all, they're very rich and they're very deep. And there's Probably a couple, There is at least a couple of sermons in both of those words. So I'm just going to give you a summary so you get a feel about this righteousness and justification because we use it quite a bit within the church. True righteousness and true justification, keep this in mind, comes from God. For you to be righteous, you need to rely on Jesus Christ. To you to be justified, to be good enough for God, you need to rely on Jesus Christ. 
Some years ago, I was organising a funeral with a family and conducting a funeral, and the question came up, or somebody came up and said, oh, um, will Grandma be in heaven? And one person in the family said, absolutely, Grandma was a lovely person. She was always writing to us. She always did these things. And they just lifted off, listed off all the good things she did. And then Grandma's husband said, yep, she's going to be in heaven, but not for that stuff. That's not going to get her there. She's going to be in heaven because she had faith in Jesus. She trusted in Jesus' death and resurrection. She allowed Jesus to be the one who made her righteous and justified. And so this righteousness and justification, they're actually interchangeable words um, theologically. But they have this sense, this sense of being in a good or correct relationship. In fact, the word righteousness comes from the Hebrew of being straight, made straight. And they have a sense of being good enough for God. Right? You are good enough for God because of what Jesus has done. And that's what Luther had discovered. If you listen to Luther's story, he had this torment that went on in his life and he thought... He had to continually confess sins and he's, we had what he called a confessor father, another pastor who he'd met and this confessor father said, I've listened to you for three hours confessing sins. Go and do a sin that's good enough, bad enough to confess. It's not about you confessing sin. It's about you relying on Jesus. And that's where Romans 1.17 really hit home. But this righteousness and justification doesn't just stop with what God's done for us. Because of what God's done for us, it has an effect on us. And it leads us to wanting to do what pleases God. To wanting to live out the good commandment, the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. And to love others as much as you love yourself. And of course, it's, as I've mentioned, it's only possible through faith in Jesus. And so, that's our identity. We are justified. We are good enough for God. You are good enough for God because of your faith in Jesus. Because of your trust in what Jesus has done on the cross and through the empty tomb. And that he is sitting right beside his father, talking to his father on your behalf. And so this leads us to our gospel reading today, which highlights and reminds us that our sins do not define us. Our flaws, our failures do not define us. At the end of our gospel reading today, we heard from Jesus and he said these words. Very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. And when Jesus is talking about freedom, this is not a freedom to go and do whatever you want 
But it's a freedom about being bound to trying to prove yourself that you're good enough to God. It's a freedom about being bound to being labelled because of your sins. We have, um, or we used to, and they will resume at some stage, we pray Alcoholics Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous that meet with us. And for a particular reason in their recovery process, they always say they're always an alcoholic. And unfortunately, some people, even though they haven't drunk for 30 years, that's how they label themselves. As only that. But there are others within there that says, I'm always an alcoholic, but the good thing is I've got Jesus. So I'm not just an alcoholic. And so I'd like to think about the things in your life, you to think about the things in your life that you label yourself because of your sins. You may have things like poor time management. You may have things like um, of a sin that you've committed in the past. You may have a temper. There may be things that you label in yourself. Can I encourage you to bring those to God, to confess those to God, to ask God to help you with them? But recognise this, God is not going to hold them against you because of what Jesus has done on the cross and through the empty tomb. We come back to why we celebrate this Reformation. We celebrate this Reformation not because it divided the church, not because we thought we were superior to anyone else. We celebrate this Reformation as a reminder of the truth that Luther discovered. A truth that was within the scriptures and a truth that he discovered that says our life with God is a life where we have a loving God. A God who forgives us and shows us mercy. A God who doesn't treat us as a slave but rather treats us as a loving child of God. And all this has been made possible by Jesus. So let's think about what this means for us as Christ's ambassadors, as people who are called to not just receive the faith but to reflect the faith, as people who will get an opportunity every day of the week to shine Christ's light, this message that God has given us to the world we live in. Think about who you are. You're somebody who's accountable to God. You're somebody that without Jesus would be just a sinner. But the good news is you're not just a sinner. You are righteous and justified by God. You are not defined by your sins. And that you have a secure future with God because of the love that Jesus has for us. When we take seriously this good news message, a good news message that we are loved by God, that we're not defined by our sins, that our relationship with God is totally dependent on what Jesus has done. This can have a dramatic impact on who, how, not only how we understand ourselves, but how we live our lives, how we go about life. There was a gentleman... Um, 
who was in one of my congregations, where where when he understood this, says it changed his whole approach to church, to Christianity, and to his family. He said what it meant was his whole focus until he understood this was about what people had to do. And he was angry with people and grumpy with people. He said he was selfish. If, he, if people didn't do what he did, he wouldn't do things and respond. And he'd also limit his time that he was involved with the local church community. And when he recognised that his future with God was not dependent on him and other people's future with God was not dependent on them but dependent on Jesus. He understood that he was part of a community where we're called to share the loving God that we have, the compassionate God, the God who's not going to look at us and say, Neil, remember that sin you did 10 years ago? I'm going to hold that against you. He's not going to do that. He's going to say, I love you, you're my child, you're part of this, my family forever because Jesus has died for you and risen for you. And so when we, as children of God, live in the world, let us take that message because I'm sure that if you ask some people out in the street, what is a Christian? They wouldn't have this message. But this is the message that God calls us to share. That God is a gracious and loving and patient and forgiving God. May you go always knowing that your identity is that you're a child of God. Somebody who God loves. And Jesus has shown us and proven that. Go in his peace and go with his love. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, pour down your Holy Spirit on us and your church. May we really grasp this message that we are saved because of what Jesus has done. And we thank you that for people like Luther and for other reformers that they were rediscovered this message and they shared this message even though it nearly cost them their lives. And in some cases did cost them their lives. We pray for your Holy Spirit to be with us as we live in this world, a world that doesn't clearly understand you, but a world that will be held accountable to you. Lord, give us a sense of your presence every day, every moment of our lives. Remind us of the grace you have for us. And may we help others see that you are a gracious, compassionate and loving God. In Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.